Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Georgine Rice Show, the Friday edition. Glad to have you with us. James Blend is producing and engineering today's program. Coming up, we'll share the... Uh, Lighter side of the news in the second half of our first hour, and in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. We'll hear from Dr. Albert Moeller. He's going to talk about the Supreme Court hearing, the arguments that were made at Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, and the impact the case may have on Roe versus Wade. We'll also hear from Bob Lapine on some practical tools for Christ-centeredness as we see Christmas approaching, and uh, my conversation with Kristen Wagoner of Alliance Defending Freedom on Baronel Stutzman, who was part of that conversation about her personal battle with the courts finally coming to an end, although the issue is far from over. All of that coming up in the second hour of today's program. Taking a look at some of the day's headlines, the parents of the teen suspect accused of killing four students after opening fire inside a Michigan high school earlier this week are now facing involuntary manslaughter charges as prosecutors on Friday revealed text messages allegedly sent to their son before and after the attack. James and Jennifer Crumbly are each facing four counts of involuntary manslaughter, according to the Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald. Their son, 15-year-old Ethan Crumbly, allegedly fired at least 30 rounds in the hallways of Oxford High School on Tuesday, killing four classmates and injuring seven others, including a teacher. While the shooter was the one who entered the school and pulled the trigger, there are other individuals who contributed to the events on November 30th, and it is my intention to hold them accountable as well. McDonald told reporters during a press conference, it's imperative we prevent this from happening again. No other parent or community should have to live through this nightmare. Well, McDonald uh, once again said the weapons recovering uh, recovered following the shooting, a nine millimeter uh, millimeter Sig Sauer pistol was purchased by James Crumley in the presence of his son at a local firearm store on Black Friday per an employee that worked there. The teen then took to social media around that date to post images of a semi-automatic handgun with a caption, Just got my new beauty today, heart emoji, Sig Sauer 9mm, any questions I will answer. Well, the next day, McDonald said uh, Jennifer Crumley posted on social media, Mom and Son, uh, testing his new Christmas present. In the week before the shooting on the 21st of November, McDonald said a teacher at Oxford High School had noticed Ethan Crumley searching for ammunition on his cell phone during class and reported the incident to administrators. Well, the mother then was contacted by phone and email, but the school never heard back from her, McDonald says. Uh, instead, she added Jennifer, ex- um, she added rather, Jennifer exchanged text messages with her son about the incident, one of which said, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught, end quote. Then on the morning of the shooting, Ethan's teacher noticed an alarming note on his desk that contained drawings of semi-automatic handguns, bullets, and uh, a person being shot twice with the phrases, the thoughts, um, 
won't stop. Help me. Blood everywhere. My life is useless and the world is dead, written throughout. Well, the prosecutor said Ethan and his parents were immediately summoned to a meeting during which they were told that uh, they were required to get their son into counseling within 48 hours. At that meeting, the parents were shown Ethan's drawings, but portions of it were scratched out by Ethan beforehand, such as the drawing of the gun and bloody figure. She noted that the parents resisted the idea of their son leaving school <clears throat> excuse me, at that time and departed the building without him. He then returned to the classroom and hours later drew the weapon from his backpack and started firing. Then, when news of the shooting became public, Jennifer Crumley texted her son at about 1.22 p.m. Ethan, don't do it, she said. Fifteen minutes later, James Crumley <clears throat> called 911 to report a gun missing from his house and that he believed his son might be the shooter. <clears throat> Further investigation revealed that the Sig Sauer 9mm handgun purchased by James Crumley was stored unlocked in a drawer in James and Jennifer's bedroom. The gun found at the scene of the shooting was the same one that James Crumbly purchased on the 26th, uh, McDonald um, alleges. Gun ownership is a right, and with that right comes great responsibility, he said, also told reporters during the press conference. Meanwhile, Ethan Crumley is facing one count of terrorism causing death, four counts of first-degree murder, seven counts of assault with intent to murder, and 12 counts of possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony. The teen recorded videos the night before the shootings in which he talked about shooting and killing students the next day at Oxford High School. According to the sheriff's office, Lieutenant Tim Willis, Crumley met with school officials on Monday as well to address behavioral issues in the classroom. Oakley County Sheriff Michael Bouchard said, well, Crumley still had 18 live um, rounds when the police apprehended him in the hallway just five minutes after the first 911 call. The four students who died in the shooting are 16-year-old Tate Meyer, 14-year-old Hannah Juliana, 17-year-old Madison Baldwin, and 15-year-old Justin Schilling. At least three of the injured victims have been released from the hospital, including a 47-year-old teacher who was shot in the shoulder. Well, U.S. job growth significantly undershot expectations in November, suggesting that difficulty in attracting new workers is um, weighing on the labor market's recovery from the pandemic, even as COVID-19 cases dissipated nationwide. The Labor Department said in its monthly payroll report released on Friday that payrolls in November rose by just 210,000, well below the 550,000 jobs forecast by uh, Refinitiv. Economists, it marked the worst month for job creation so far this year. The unemployment rate, which is calculated based on a separate survey, dropped more than expected to 4.2 percent from 4.6 percent, the lowest level since the pandemic began. The labor market had been gaining momentum after a Delta induced slowdown over the summer. But the latest figure represents a significant drop from October's upwardly revised numbers of 546,000 and September's upwardly revised 379,000. There's still about 3.9 million fewer jobs uh, than there were last February before the crisis began. Today's employment report is doubly disappointing because the reference week occurred just as it looked like COVID was on the retreat. That's a quote from Justin Wolfers, a University of Michigan economist. This was a moment for people to return to malls and return to work. The COVID-related news has only gotten worse since then. In other news, uh, President Biden 
He wants COVID-19 testing for air travelers 24 hours before international flights. He planned uh, his planned requirements for incoming international travelers to have a negative COVID test uh, within 24 hours of departing is set to begin next week. A senior administration official confirmed uh, that the 24-hour testing requirement, which the president officially announced earlier in the day on Thursday, will take effect on Monday. All travelers, regardless of vaccination or citizenship status, will be subject to the changed regulation. Previously, only the unvaccinated were required to show a negative test 24 hours prior to departure, while those that were vaccinated had to show a negative test within 72 hours. The changes come as part of the president's winter plan to combat COVID-19 as cases of the Omicron variant were detected in the U.S. this week. In other developments, New Jersey GOP lawmakers are defying the new statehouse COVID vaccine mandate and refuse to leave the floor. New York confirms five cases of the Omicron coronavirus variant and COVID case, uh, causes rather bad smells and tastes and depression for some survivors. One saying hot water smells like rotting meat. Parasmia. I think that's about right, is a term used for any kind of distortion of one's sense of smell, unlike anosmia, a term for one's loss of their sense of smell. Well, the Senate okayed a bill to fund the government until February 18th, likely averting a shutdown. Senate lawmakers voted Thursday night to approve a bill that funds the government through the 18th, avoiding the shutdown with roughly 24 hours to spare, despite a partisan clash regarding President Biden's federal vaccine mandate. The Senate voted 69 to 28 in favor of the continuing resolution, which approves government funding at the prior year's level until a new bipartisan agreement is reached. The resolution includes $7 billion in new funding to support Afghan refugees. In other developments, Mitch McConnell affirmed we're not going to shut down the government. Speaker Pelosi says the House won't pass a funding bill blocking vaccine mandates, saying they're not going to go for their uh, go for their referring to Republicans anti vaccine uh, vaccine House members discussed the uh, partisan division and agreement and Congress is barreling toward a government shutdown as a handful of GOP senators hold out over vaccine mandates. Well, meanwhile, Republican senators are considering threatening a government shutdown to defend the uh, vaccine mandates. So you've got them on both sides. Alec Baldwin's TV interview has a fellow actor calling his remarks, well, a lie. He used more colorful language. Former Dukes of Hazard star John Schneider, he shared his thoughts Thursday night on Alec Baldwin's TV interview with NBC regarding the Rust movie set shooting. In a conversation with ABC's George Stephanopoulos, Baldwin claimed that despite holding the gun at a New Mexico movie set on the 21st of October, he didn't pull a trigger. A shot fired from the firearm, ending up killing the cinematographer. Schneider uh, discussed, or rather questioned, the conversation, asking whether viewers were supposed to believe that a gun went off by itself. This is a wonderful business we all work in. We are honored and privileged to be part of it, Schneider continued. So when someone takes, um, well... Something which obviously George and Alec have done here. And obviously this woman is still deceased. Her family is still without a mother, without a wife. This is absurd. Schneider said he believes the propaganda machine is responsible for perpetuating the idea that Baldwin is a victim. And other developments, Alec Baldwin is being slammed for the tell-all interview about Rust, the shooting, calling it a clout-chasing performance. An emotional Alec Baldwin recalled the Rust shooting, saying that if I felt I was responsible, I might have killed myself. 
The Rust assistant director maintains that Alec Baldwin's claim that he didn't pull the trigger in the fatal shooting is true. And Alec Baldwin's claim is being questioned by a sheriff saying guns just don't go off by themselves. Emmett Terrell suggested that Baldwin's interview was done to influence the jury pool. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Need to take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. And later this hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news with James Blind. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Fairfax County parents are demanding the school board resign after doubling down on pornography in the schools. Brent Musburger says John Gruden's email scandal was a professional hit job. A Democratic group is being blasted after praising President Biden for lowering gas prices by two cents. Tesla headquarters is no longer located in California, making the move official, saying the relocation is much cheaper. China's Didi is planning to leave the U.S. stock market amid a tech crackdown. And Michael Avenatti is requesting a new trial in the Nike case. Certain grocery items are bearing the brunt of inflation, says a major chain. Kroger has experienced higher product cost inflation across most of its categories, including grocery and meat. Well, a man is shattering female swimming records at the University of Pennsylvania. A 22-year-old male swimmer competing as a female has broken several records that recently belonged to actual women. From another story, just two years ago, Leah Thomas was competing in men's swimming at Penn as Will Thomas. In the 2018-2019 season, Thomas was a a second-team All-Ivy swimmer in three different events. After last competing against men in November of 2019, Thomas returned after the Ivy League canceled the 2020-2022, or rather 21 season, uh, because of COVID to compete against women and has obviously seen great success. Women who obviously uh, would have been in Penn's team are out of luck. So are the women who would have won these events had they not been competing against a man. And more will be out of luck later. Thomas's Times would have won silver and bronze in two events at the 2021 NC2A Women's Championship. Well, Democrats are stalling a bill to condemn forced labor camps in China. The Democrat-led Congress can't seem to get the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, which passed the Senate unanimously in July, to President Biden's desk. Pointing to procedural issues and promises of future action, Democratic leadership is in both the House and Senate can't seem to agree on a strategy to pass the bill through both chambers, despite publicly claiming they support it. Later, Biden administration officials have been quietly telling lawmakers to slow down. Administration sources confirm that in an October call between Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman and Senator Jeff Merkley and uh, other uh, the other co-sponsor. Sherman made it clear that the administration prefers a more targeted and deliberative approach to determining which goods are the products of forced labor. She also told Merkley that getting allied uh, buy-in was critical and more effective than unilateral action. In other words, while the administration supports the legislation in public, they're asking Democrats to essentially water it down in private. Marco Rubio comments, the opposition to my bill isn't about a House blue slip. This is sick stuff. Seth Mandel weighs in an extraordinarily uh, windy Sherman thing to do. No skill quite um, suits your advancement in foggy bottom, like the ability to step over bodies. The folks who thought a half million Syrian bodies was a fair price to pay for a ludicrously weak Iran deal also want to know uh, why we're in such a rush to punish genocide when it'll upset Nike. 
New York City set a vaccine mandate for religious and private school workers. The story begins. The New York City will require employees at um, yeshivas, Catholic schools and other private schools to be vaccinated against the coronavirus and what is believed to be the largest effort in the nation to force religious schools to adhere to a vaccine mandate. A Democrat pollster is warning Democrats we are in trouble. Brian Stryker told the New York Times we have a problem. We've got a national branding problem that is probably deeper than a lot of people suspect. Our party thinks maybe some things we're saying aren't cutting through, but I think it's much deeper than that. End quote from Frank Luntz. Uh, look like uh, looks rather like calling everyone who disagrees with you racist is not an effective strategy for winning over voters. And a poll out of Harvard finds Biden's approval rating among 18 to 29 year olds has dropped 13 points and is now under 50 percent. Team Biden is being mocked for a um, graph showing gas prices are down two cents over two weeks. Even The Washington Post noted in reality, since Biden took office, the price of gas has risen more than a dollar on this same measure. An 11th School Board Association voted to leave the National School Board Association. The Alabama School Board Association is the latest to bail over their letter to the Biden administration, seeking them to get the FBI to harass parents. From Christopher Rufo, the parent movement has broken the National School Boards Association. They tried labeling parents domestic terrorists and parents fought back. Well, New York confirms five cases of Omicron. But they were in panic mode long before it got there. An Atlantic story admits opening schools didn't doom America. Many schools that reopened were able to implement measures that other institutions struggled with. Even so, people continued to worry about the danger that schools posed to society. Then classes began and widespread doom never really came. Or if it did, it didn't come from schools. The Delta surge began long before classes resumed. And looking at the state-by-state data, you'd be hard-pressed to find bumps that can be pinned to the beginning of the semester. Last year, no surge happened in September either. Most states didn't see any significant rise in COVID cases last fall until well into October. Schools aren't the problem. They never have been. The Chicago mayor backed down in a threat to sue the police department as murders are up. Mayor Lori Lightfoot was suing to force police to be vaccinated or not get paid. The union was fighting her. Pompeo calls on NBA to stand up to China. The former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo challenged the seven-foot men to be as tough as the five-foot-five Uh, women of the Women's Tennis Association. Chuck Schumer uh, averted a shutdown after defeating the GOP rebellion over the vaccine mandate, though Joe Manchin won't rule out backing the GOP effort to defund the mandate. Calling her record a history of antipathy, Republican slam Biden FCC pick for her anti-conservative views. Gigi Sohn previously described Fox News, for example, as state-sponsored propaganda. Hiring stumbles in November as the economy adds just 210,000 new jobs. At the same time, inflation is causing financial strain for nearly half of U.S. households. But lest you forget, a Washington Post columnist, Michelle uh, uh, Maynard, says we do ourselves a favor by consciously lowering our expectations. In a power mood, Tesla says so long to California, files uh, to move its headquarters to Texas. All inbound international travelers must test within one day of departure. President Biden announced new COVID travel restrictions and extended the mask mandate to March of next year. 
The Biden administration has suspended enforcement of the Centers for for Medicare and Medicaid Services Vax mandate following a court order. And the doctor who helped discover the Omicron variant wrote a scathing letter condemning the knee jerk lockdowns of world governments. Vaping is being linked to the same cancer causing mutations as cigarettes. Well, spin doctor Jen Psaki says the root cause of organized retail crime is the covid pandemic. Meanwhile, 14 looting suspects have been released on California's zero bail rule. Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg are teaming up to sell the infrastructure law with potential 2024 rivalry in view. And a deliberate roadblock, Loudoun County asks parents to pay $36,000 for Freedom of Information Act requests for documents regarding sexual assault or rape within the schools. Cook County confirms over 1,000 homicides for the first time in 27 years. And the Waukesha a parade suspect says he feels dehumanized and demonized. Meanwhile, he allegedly ran over his ex-girlfriend with his SUV after catching her with someone else. And Brooks was assessed a top risk for violence, but was released by a leftist DA anyway on previous charges. The number of police officers shot and killed in the line of duty hit a new high. And Alec Baldwin on rust. Someone else is responsible, but I know it's not me. Well, the U.S. does not have an Africa strategy, but China does, and many are concerned of what the implications might be. Well, on this day in history, 1818, Illinois is admitted to the U.S. as the 21st state. 1828, Andrew Jackson is elected president of the United States by the Electoral College. 1833, Oberlin College in Ohio, the first truly co-educational school of higher learning in the United States, begins holding classes. 1928, English mystery writer Agatha Christie disappears after driving away from her home in Berkshire. She reappeared 11 days later. 1964, police arrest some 800 students at the University of California at Berkeley one day after the students stormed the administration building and staged a massive sit-in. 1967, a surgical team in Cape Town, South Africa, led by Dr. Christian Barnard, performs the first human heart transplant on Louis uh, Washkansky, who would uh, live 18 days without, uh, or rather with the donor organ, which came from a 25-year-old bank clerk who had died in a traffic accident. 1979, 11 people are killed in a crash of fans at Cincinnati's Riverfront Coliseum, where the British rock group The Who was performing. 1980, Bernadine Dorn, a former leader of the Radical Weather Underground, surrenders to authorities in Chicago after more than a decade as a fugitive. 1991, radicals in Lebanon release American hostage Alan Steen, who'd been held captive nearly five years. 1992, the first telephone text message is sent by British engineer Neil Papworth, who's, who uh, transmits the greeting Merry Christmas from his uh, work computer in Newbury, Berkshire, to Avada uh, phone executive Richard Jarvis, mobile phone. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break. When we return, a look at the lighter side of the news, and I'll be joined by James Blend. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend joins me as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. How you doing, James? I can't hear you. Are you speaking? I still can't hear you. Are you speaking? There we go. <laughs> Sorry, I was having some headphone issues, so I couldn't uh, I couldn't actually hear you for a second there either. Which so isn't my question... necessarily a bad thing, but you know. <laughs> Once again, my question, how are you doing? 
Boy, we, we took the long and winding road to get there, didn't we? I'm doing fine. <laughs> well, we actually did. Uh, first story, an Italian anti-vaxxer, as they're now uh, referred to, tried to get a COVID test, or rather a COVID jab, in a fake arm. I heard about this. Yeah. An Italian man turned up at a vaccination center wearing a fake silicone arm, hoping to fool a nurse into giving him a jab in order to obtain the COVID-19 health certificate. Bad idea. The man, who is in his 50s and should have known better, has been reported to police in the northern city of wherever he lives. Regional Governor Alberto Serraro, uh, adding that the silicone on the um, prosthetic arm looked very similar to real skin. So he almost got away with it. However, the color and touch raised the suspicion of the health worker who asked him to show the whole arm. Well, the incident would um, border on the ridiculous where it. Uh, it not for the fact that uh, we're talking about an extremely serious act, said the mayor there in a post on Facebook. Um, the news agency reported that the man who has not been named worked in the health sector, had been suspended from his job because he had refused the vaccination. The jab is mandatory there for all health care workers. So this was his effort to keep his job by donning a uh, a fake arm. What I want to know is what he did with the other arm that. I mean, you, you his know, you actual pre- arm. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you presume that the man probably has two natural arms. It doesn't specify that he doesn't. Um, but where, where, where did he stash the other good arm? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And my guess is once he was found out, he didn't offer his actual arm to get the vaccination. One would think not. Yeah. Not a good plan. Not a good plan. Uh, Let's see here. A a trash can from the city of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, made it an unlikely journey across the Atlantic Ocean and recently washed ashore in Ireland. This is a trash can. It's not like a message in a bottle. The city was alerted to the can's transatlantic voyage in a Sunday email from Keith McGreal, uh, who said he and his kids found the uh, barnacle-covered blue bin in County Mayo, on Ireland's northwestern coast. Amazing to think it traveled all the way across the Atlantic, he says. Um, uh, it was shared on Monday on a um, message he posted in his Twitter account. In their response to McGreal, the city officials speculated the bend may have blew away during a high wind event and was propelled across the ocean by the Gulf Stream. Please recycle our wayward traveling can and come see us next time you're on this side of the pond, the officials said. The the they overlook the other possibility here. Yeah. And, and admittedly, it's a tragedy if it's true. But somewhere in the middle of the Atlantis, Atlantic, Oscar the Grouch has met a wet and untimely, ter- death. untimely demise. Yeah. Oh, dear. That might be worth looking into. Has uh, anyone seen him of late? I don't know. That's a good question. It's a very good question. Mm-hmm. We'll have to look into that. Anyway, he probably could swim. He's probably fine. Oh no, he's got a lot of hair. Eventually, that would mat down and weigh you down. I would think <laughs> it, it but, might. You know, maybe, Let's just not think maybe about he it. He could grouch paddle. Maybe. Well, it's never too late to return a lost library book. Now, some libraries might beg to differ. They might think, yeah. Late is late and it's never good. But that's what the Boise Public Library um, let its patrons know when a book returned to its facility more than a century later. 
Now, I'm not sure who returned the book, but it was returned a century later. Well, the book in question, The New Chronicles of Rebecca by Kate Douglas Wiggin, is the sequel to Wiggin's first fictional uh, novel, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. Well, both books were published in the early 20th century, 1903, excuse me, in 1907, respectively, and followed the life of Rebecca Rowena Randall, who uh, grows up in rural Maine. Well, according to the book's internal library slip, the book had been borrowed a total of 15 times before it went missing from the Carnegie Public Library. New Chronicle of Rebecca, originally checked out from Boise's Carnegie Public Library in 1910, was recently returned. The Idaho-based library wrote in a social media announcement. With a fine of two cents per day for 111 years, whoever checked out this book would owe $803. Thank goodness the Boise Public Libraries are now fine-free. I wonder how that's going in terms of people returning their books. Well, the person who borrowed the book last appears to have checked it out on, let's see, in 1911, according to the photo the library shared. At the time, overdue books were subject to uh, at least a fee of two cents per day by the Boise Public Library. Uh, But that was eliminated in 2019. Well, the resident who found the uh, coming-of-age novel initially returned it to the Garden City Public Library in Ada County, and the book made its way to the Boise Library, which was its original home. The library's social media manager wrote in response to the Twitter inquiry. Well, a spokesperson for the library said that the person who returned the book has yet to identify themselves, uh, but the library's team is so happy that uh, others have found this to be Uh, as cool as we do. Well, libraries throughout the country are waiving or eliminating late fees uh, to encourage borrowers to return overdue books. And apparently it worked. This one was uh, returned 110 years after it was borrowed. I would be interested in the name of the person who borrowed it and a little bit of that person's history. Um, We assume the individual is now deceased, but who were they and what's their story? Ashley, from what I understand, they're currently standing outside uh, the uh, last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon, <laughs> and waiting to bring back a movie that they forgot to rewind from 1987. Oh, there you go. That's right. You had to rewind them as well as return them. Yes, we them. did. Be kind. Rewind. Oh, I can remember going to those stores and walking down the aisles, looking at titles, trying to find something to bring home. It was really quite exciting. Now there are a million and a half channels on cable and nothing to see. We have more opportunities, less to watch. Yeah, I guess that's progress. Sort of. Kind of. Well, police believe that the Buck is part of an organized crime group breaking into buildings in New Hampshire. They're referring to the reindeer burglar uh, wanted by the New Hampshire police over the school break-in. Well, police have released a sketch of an antlered suspect wanted in connection with a burglary at the New Hampshire school. Wanted the reindeer burglar or burglars, plural. The Barnstead Police Department wrote Sunday on Facebook in a slight flight of fancy on the local hoofed ruminants. We are investigating a burglary at the uh, Barnstead Elementary School reported to BBP, which is the police department, at 1220 p.m. today. Well, police say they responded to a report of a broken window at the school and were surprised to discover a 10-point buck inside the school lobby. 
Well, officers called for backup and firefighters arrived to help capture the hefty interloper. As emergency personnel gained entry, the suspect escaped as he crashed through a second window and was last seen running down Maple Street. An officer pursued the suspect, but the four-legged perp was apparently too swift. In the distance, a voice could be heard yelling, on dancer, and in the blink of an eye, the suspect was gone. I'm quoting, by the way. Officers found a five-point deer antler uh, at the scene of the crime and quipped that uh, they would be sending it to a crime lab to check for DNA. Police believe that the buck is part of an organized crime group breaking into buildings in New Hampshire, according to the Post. Another deer evaded police over the weekend in New Hampshire, a town of Goffstown. A buck broke into an auto repair shop and got stuck inside, but reportedly managed to get away as police arrived. It's finally proof positive that not everywhere deserves their own CSI spinoff. That's true. That's so true. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. James Blend weighing in as well. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show as we take a look at some of the lighter side of the news. Coming up in our second hour, we will share this week's Christian Outlook. We'll hear from Dr. Albert Moeller as he uh, talks about the Supreme Court hearing arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization earlier this week. We'll also hear from Bob Lapine on some practical tools for Christ-centeredness during this Christmas season. And my conversation with Kristen Wagoner of Alliance Defending Freedom and Baron L. Stutzman about her personal battle with the courts finally coming to an end, although the issue is far from being resolved otherwise. That's all coming up in the second hour. Also want to remind you that Christmas Mortgage Miracle is still underway. And if you can imagine what it would be like to uh, save the money you would otherwise spend on your mortgage or rent for a full year, let me encourage you to log on to kpdq.com and enter to win. It could happen if you enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle with KPDQ from OsteoStrong PDX. You can enter once per day now through uh, December 17th. Just click on the Christmas Mortgage Miracle at kpdq.com. Also, this weekend is the final weekend of the Portland Singing Christmas Tree. You can get into the spirit of the season um, at Sunset Presbyterian Church. It's running through... December 5th. So tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday, the last two days, and they've added a a special Sunday evening performance. I have an opportunity to uh, participate along with former Miss America Katie Harmon and Timothy Greenwich. 2 o'clock p.m. on uh, Saturday, 6 o'clock p.m. on Saturday, the same on Sunday. So uh, there are great seats available Sunday evening, so check that out. You can go to kpdq.com for more details. And I hope to see you there this weekend. Well, the stuff of nightmares, terrifying fish is washed up on the San Diego beach. Now, we tend to think we know everything. We've discovered everything. We've seen everything. So we shouldn't be surprised by anything. But God has no limit to the creativity uh, of his creation. What lies beneath remains much a mystery. A gruesome looking sea creature gave beachcombers the fright of their lives after it was spotted washed ashore on a San Diego beach earlier this week. Footage of the freaky flotsam is uh, currently making waves online as well. Said one observer, I have never seen anything quite like this before. Uh, The uh, observer took the photo 
uh, that is uh, circulating online. Initially thinking the critter was a jellyfish, the beachgoers realized upon closer inspection that it was, in fact, a fish fish. Storyful reported, by that time, a large crowd of curious onlookers had gathered around the to gawk at the thing. Well, it's the stuff of nightmares. Uh, mouth almost looked bloody, exclaimed one observer who estimated the sea creature to be about a foot long. His photo shows the critter, which sports rows of undulating teeth and a fleshy tassel atop his head, like if a, a sea bass was designed by Tim Burton. That's a pretty good description. Uh, the Scripps Institute of Oceanography has since identified the animal as a Pacific football fish. Huh. One of the largest species of anglerfish with a maximum length of two feet. The oceanic predator is notable for the fleshy, bioluminescent head protuberance that is uh, used to lure small prey, a la its angler namesake, according to the California Academy of Sciences. And it... Um, if its uh, looks weren't scary enough, the male football fish is a parasite that impregnates the female by fusing itself to her and, um, well, doing what fish do. Well, at the football fish, uh, as the football fish typically resides in depths of two to three thousand feet, sightings on land are exceedingly rare. In fact, uh, they found. Um, Marks uh, the first time the ocean denison has been sighted in uh, San Diego since 2001. So it doesn't make an appearance very often. It's only been seen a few times here in California, said the collection manager of the Marine Vertebrae Collection at Scripps. The Pacific uh, football fish is known from 30 specimens that have ever been collected and brought to museums around the Pacific Ocean. Anyway, it's got uh, very intimidating teeth around a very large mouth and the tongue pretty much fills the entire mouth. It's uh, most unattractive. Of course, other fish, football fish, probably find it quite attractive, but you know what I mean. Well, the good news is, too, ever since this thing washed ashore, that uh, yeah, they they are bringing, of course, in all the experts they need. And from what I understand, even as we speak, uh, Paul Lindman is on his way down there to blow the thing up. <laughs> we'll be talking about that next Friday. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the Dollar Tree, we've all come to expect that you go to the Dollar Tree and everything in the store costs, wait for it, a dollar. Well, not anymore. Dollar Tree Inc. will sell a majority of its products for more than a dollar, edging away from the approach that gave the discount chain its name. I'm not sure it's going to change the name, but after 35 years of selling goods for a buck, Dollar Tree is boosting its standard price point to $1.25 by the end, well, of April. I guess next year. Uh, the company said in a statement, while the decision is not a reaction to short-term or transitory market conditions, Dollar Tree acknowledged the inflationary environment and said the price boost will help mitigate historically high costs, including freight and distribution expenses, as well as wage increases. Well, lifting the $1 constraint represents a monumental step for our organization, according to the CEO. Uh, the move will allow Dollar Tree to expand its product assortment and reintroduce some items that were pulled due to the $1 constraint. Well, the move signals the end of an era for Dollar Tree, which has long based its business on the price point as inflation pushes up the cost of many, most, pretty much all goods. The company recently rolled out the higher price in select stores and the tests have demonstrated broad consumer acceptance of the new price point. Uh, Dollar Tree plans to bring it to more than 2,000 additional stores in December and complete the rollout by the end of the first quarter in fiscal year 
2022. Wow, a dollar twenty-five. It well, is the end of an era. Some of those items in there. It, it's still the one. You know, you, you see a dollar. You know, certain things for a dollar, and you go, "That's a value. I could really use that, like a pack of batteries or something like that." Um, doesn't matter that you'd never heard of the brand. But, uh, you know, batteries for a dollar is fine. But uh, I, I was very, very concerned the one time I was in there and saw for only a dollar you could get a pregnancy test. <laughs> I'm not sure I no, no would, uh, rely no, I, on that. I, I, I looked at that and went, why do I have a feeling it would say I'm pregnant? <laughs> no comment. <clears throat> well, from uh, backflips to pogo sticks, Guinness World Records. Well, they're smashing records all over. From the uh, events I've mentioned, this year's Guinness World Record Day is as colorful as ever. Ever talent from around the world have smashed all kinds of records for the 18th annual GWR Day on Wednesday. If you want to be a Guinness World Record title holder, just go for it, says. Uh, one competitor, the British gymnast, broke her own record for the farthest backflip between two horizontal bars when he managed to propel himself six meters or 19.7 feet through the air. That's impressive. Uh, find what you're really good at. See what the record is. Train for it as hard as you can and do it. Meanwhile, in China, balanced on his hands, Zhang Xuang. Uh, pulled a car for 50 meters in just one minute and 13.27 seconds. Pumped up and cheering after his record break, uh, he revealed the skill is in having a very strong waist and abdomen, a good endurance in your triceps, arms, and shoulders. Okay. Other winners included American Tyler uh, Phillips, who broke the record for the most consecutive car jumped uh, over on a pogo stick. Okay. Takahiro Ikeda from Japan, who managed 45 BMX time machines in 30 seconds. Meanwhile, 32-year-old Laura Biondo of Venezuela bagged a couple of uh, certificates of uh, for her ball control skills, including the most double around-the-world ball control tricks in one minute achieved by a female. Craig Glenday, editor-in-chief of the Guinness World Records book, said uh, that they've um, been blown away by the incredible talent Okay, talent, is that the right word here? Talent? Um, Talent and show of strength from our new record holders. Guinness World Records Day is a global celebration of record-breaking. It's a chance for anyone, James Blend included, who wants to tick off their name in the famous Guinness World Record books, he says. Wow, Guinness World Records Day. I guess, whatever. All right, we're out of time. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And when we return, we'll hear the Christian Outlook. I had the opportunity to host this week. And again, we'll hear from Albert Moeller on the Supreme Court's uh, decision-making, or at least their uh, hearing of oral arguments and comments made, how to celebrate Christmas with Bob Lapine and my conversation on uh, with Baronel Stutzman and her attorney on her personal battle with the courts finally coming to an end. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.